Welcome back to No Chill with Gilbert Arenas. Our guest today is a legend in two games like Pee Wee Kirkland. He was the 1998 National Player of the Year in high school before becoming the 25th overall pick in the 98 NBA draft out of St. Patrick's High School in New Jersey. Played 16 NBA seasons with a brief stint out there in China. Yep. Now he's doing big things in the cannabis space with his company Viola Browns. He's the co-founder and CEO of Viola Brand, excuse me. Yep. I, I stumbled on that a little bit, but. We got Al Harrington in the building, man. We appreciate you pulling up with us. No problem, bro. You stumbling because you're smoking that Viola product. <laughs> That's very true. That's actually going to be the first question. So obviously big news is you guys partnered up with Alan Iverson to release a whole new strain. So I just got to know, what's it like making a, a strain for the biggest legend in the NBA? Man, it's a lot of pressure. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when you think about the icon that he is and the amount of people that are waiting to, you know, talk shit, essentially. Yeah. It's not yeah, that's that. what it is. Talk it shit. was a lot of pressure. So for us, it was an 18-month process, trying all different kind of phenos. The one thing with Alan is, you know, he used to smoke back in the day, and he stopped smoking. And he stopped smoking because he smoked some too strong shit, as he say, and it had him, like, laying in the ditch. The story is hilarious. <laughs> so he decided to stop smoking. So I kept telling him, I'm like, bro, if we do this, like, you're going to have to smoke. Like, you got to be authentic. You got to smoke. So he said to me, he said, if you make weed taste like Don Perignon, because he said, you know, I like the drink. He said, I'll smoke it. So that's what we, I took that and I, was, I ran with it. I was serious about it. And what we did was we were able to find a genetic, you know, with a company that we're working with that is a grape stomper cross with secret Cushmints that literally when you first light it up, it tastes like you're sipping champagne. Mm. And, uh, you know, had him try it and he only hit it once. Uh, okay. And he was like, okay, I like this. I like this. But it was too strong for him, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because it, it's a hybrid. It's a high testing hybrid. And the reason why I wanted it to be strong was just because when I think about what he meant to not only the game, but just culture, you know, I always say he was the first person that, you know, debunked the whole shut up and dribble. Like LeBron get a lot of the credit for it, but it was Allen. You know, when we first came in the league, all the vets told me like, fly straight, wear a walker, wear shoes, wear cut your hair this way. <laughs> like, if you want to survive, do it this way. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't authentic to me. And it wasn't authentic to none of my teammates or none of us, you know? But then Allen came in and he came in with the braids. And I mean, he had no tattoos at first. Man. Then he got crazy and had all these tattoos and started wearing jewelry and driving the nice luxury cars. Like I remember like the nice car in the league when we first came in was a Benz. Now he driving Rolls Royces and Bentleys and it just completely changed the game. And it was disruptive, you know? So I was just like, with this relationship and with this partnership, this strain has to be disruptive. And that's how we came to that. And you know, it's a high test, it tests 34%, you know, in THC. And it's a, it's a killer, so it's a nice strain. So, question for you, say the hit. The stuff he was afraid of, and the reason he quit, you just gave it to him. <laughs> he, don't, he don't know, he don't know what he want yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you, so you said AI hit it one time, so I need to know, was, was it a blunt joint? How were y'all smoking? It was a blunt, but it's still debatable if he really hit it. You know, I'm still trying to figure it out. He might have faked me out. <laughs> you know, he might have just blew it right out, but he definitely act like he was high. I mean, the thing is, you look at 1997 <laughs> weed versus what we have in 20, and there's no comparison. I know the type of shit that was getting getting got back in the day. It's not well, the his fire ve that. his very first time smoking, he was telling us he smoked with Biggie. Okay. And a little seeds passed him the blunt, mm -hmm. and he hit it and whatever, got high out of his mind, couldn't find his way to the bathroom or back. And then when he came back and, and seeds asked him that he wanted to hit it again, or smoke again, he told him it was hash. 
So it wasn't that he smoked weed, he smoked weed with hash in it. Okay. And that's why he was that high that first time. But the one thing you gotta learn about smoking with artists just in general, don't smoke with an artist, man, because you don't know what they putting in their weed. Yeah. You know? That is a fact. I'm, I don't smoke nothing unless I roll it or it's Viola. Okay. You feel me? But, I know what I'm smoking. You but, know I mean? you know, if you're smoking Viola, you don't really need to smoke nothing. <laughs> you don't need no hash, none of that. Nah. So, you know, I'm going to switch it, you know, to kind of your, your early upbringing coming up. You grew up playing football. You really didn't even get to basketball until your freshman year of high school. So Correct. I want to know, when did you know that you were league? When did I know? I'll probably be honest. It was late. You know what I'm saying? Because my first, my rookie, it's my rookie, my freshman year, I was terrible. I was the we was 15-man team. I was the 15th best player. <laughs> my nickname was Big Daddy. Uh, they made me like the parent of the team. Like, that was my role. Like, I was terrible at hoop. I had a growth spurt, and for some reason, I have, I still to this day, I don't know why I chose to go all basketball, because I had to choose. I had to stay in public school where I was at, where I could play both sports, or go to an all basketball school. And I think I probably went to the all basketball school just because of, like, the recognition that they got. Like, they played on TV all the time, like, in our area, was always on the newspaper, so I wanted to be a part of that. Sophomore year, trash again. <laughs> Like, awful. But I started, but I was terrible. I played with an All-American point guard, Shane Holloway. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my teammates just sent, old teammates just sent me a video of, like, me making a dumb foul and him, like, flipping. Like, you just see him, and it's just, like, all on him. He's just cussing me out the entire time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that was my sophomore year. But that summer is where I worked on my game, and I went to All-American camp, ABCD. And made the little all-star game at the camp. And then from there on, like I just started to gain confidence. But I'll tell you when I really thought I was league. It was I played against Lamar Odom okay. in uh Central Jersey in this tournament. And you know, everybody, the hype was all about him, you know, in that game. And I got the best of him. You know what I'm saying? And and at that point is when the Al Harrington name became real and I started working my way up the ranks from there. So I would say after that game is when I got the confidence that I was like, you know what, I'm actually, a, I'm nice, I can I, I can really hoop. Mm -hmm. And then just getting better, just staying in the gym and, you know, working my rank up from, you know, going from an unknown freshman, sophomore to the number one player in the country as my for my senior year is, you know, I just said, if I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm the number one player, I'm going pro. Mm -hmm. And that's how I made my decision, to be honest. Okay, for sure. I mean, you went to St. Patrick's High School, which is, you know, a basketball powerhouse. You, Kyrie, uh, Kid Gilchrist, Jonathan Kaminga, you know, mm -hmm. your coach. Yep, Samuel Dallenberg. Yeah, okay, uh, Dallenberg was a legend. Yeah, uh, yeah. That dude was funny. But what, what is it about St. Patrick's that just made it such a, a special place for, for ball players? For, 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 for the basketball players there, it was, we were a basketball school. Like, literally, you went there to play who? But when you say basketball, before you, was there NBA players? Shaheen Holloway was the first player that was, like, an All-American. It was him. It was a kid named Roddy Benson. It was a couple guys, but it was really Shaheen was the first All-American to come out of the school. It wasn't a okay. basketball school till then. Okay. The basketball school in that area was always St. Anthony's. Okay. And even when you really think about St. Anthony, they have a lot of pros, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they had, I think, uh, they had Bobby Hurley, obviously. Um, I can't remember the other dude. Uh, they had Richard, uh damn, forget it, forgot the names, but they had a couple guys, not a lot. They were just a powerhouse in regards to just the high school winning state championships mm -hmm. and everything. But it was it was Sha first, and then once I got there and I got my, then it just blew up from there. And okay. like every year after that, he had McDonald's All-Americans year after year after year until he decided to go to Mount Verde. So how did they get you to, to come there? You said you went somewhere using public school freshman year. They saw saw the growth spurt. Like, like you got to come through. So I was at a tournament in Seton Hall, and I was playing for my AAU team, the Roadrunners. And my AAU coach, 
uh, short white dude, reminds you of Ronald McDonald because he wore red hair. And I'll never forget when he first came to my house to take me on a, to, to a tournament in D.C. When he walked in my house and when he left, my mother was like, you're not going nowhere with him. <laughs> <laughs> But he was a godsend because he taught me everything about the game. Uh-huh. He taught me, he taught me like, you know, his vision for me was for me to be Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. So that's how he that's how he trained me. Like even when we played in tournaments, I would bring the ball up. You mm-hmm. know, he always thought that I, w- I was a big point guard. So that's why I always had handle. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you get to the league and you start playing, you realize that like, you know, unless you're a point guard, they expect you to score, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. especially in Indiana, we always had really good players. So, like, you stayed on the court according to how many buckets you got. So I gave a, I gave up the passing thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But um, but they saw me at that tournament. Uh, I guess I must have played good. I must have showed them something to where Kevin Boyle and uh, Coach Hurley from St. Anthony's both reached out to my okay. AU coach oh, so asking that I want to go to the school, you okay. know? And to be honest, I wanted to go to St. Anthony's just because they had more tradition and everything. But I went to St. Pat's because it was closer to my crib. Okay. You know, I only had to take two buses to get to St. Pat's. <laughs> I had to take three buses and like an hour and 15 minute trip every day to go to St. Anthony's all the way in Jersey City. So that's how I ended up choosing St. Pat's. And, you know, like the rest is history from there. Sure, and the school's going through some, I think, some financial troubles, and you and Kyrie actually stepped up. So I just want to know, you know, we, we hear about Kyrie everything kind of in the media, but we also don't really hear about just how generous he is as a human being. So how did y'all get involved with each other and actually end up saving the school? Now it's the Patrick School, right? They, re, they rebranded? Yeah, I mean, I did more stuff when it was still St. Pat's. Kyrie is really took the, man, took the handle and really did everything at the Patrick School. Okay. I mean, the kid is unbelievable. Like, whenever people need anything, he's like the first one there, you know, writing a check. So I always say he must be very good with his money because he's <laughs> yeah. always millions. It's well, never yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, most times, you know, we write, not we, but, you know, you see a $10,000 check it. presentation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, 50000 you looking like, duh, y'all, y'all $500 million, you know. But he's writing millions of dollars, you know, trying to, you know, help people and help people from his community. And, you know, he's just an unbelievable human being. And I think that the thing with Kyrie is he's just, he's on a journey finding himself. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just so happens just that he's in the public eye while yeah, he's doing it. Yeah. And he's getting so much, you know, he gets so much negative press for it. But, you know, the kid is a really, really good kid. And he'll do anything for anybody. Yeah, that's the that's the, 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 the bad part about it. Because, you know, the, the public don't understand that some hoopers just want to hoop. Right. They just want to, I just want to, like, do my thing right here. Right. And then I just want to do my thing here. I don't right. really want to interact right here. Right, right, right. You know, I don't need you right. asking me all these questions and talking about, like, I don't want to do that. I just want right. to, I spend four, five, six hours a day working on my craft, as you can see. Right. And then I don't, I want to just leave. I don't want to sit here and we're going to talk about it and you're going to ask me all these dumbass questions you do every single day. You know, some people really just, they don't understand, like, we, most players, they don't want to talk to you all yeah. the time. And it goes back, that's what I'm saying. They think we're robots. Yeah. Like We got to act a certain way to be considered professional. Mm-hmm. Like that, To his point, he loved the hoop. That's his craft. Yeah. He loved it. He hoops seven, eight hours a day. We discredit that just yeah, yeah. because he don't want to talk. <laughs> he don't want to talk. Yes. He don't want to talk to a media person, to exactly. somebody that probably writes horrible articles about him all the time. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like these, these, these media personalities or these people or writers or whatever, like they kill you. And then when you come back, it's just supposed to be all good. good yes, like, oh, yes. yeah, what up, bro? You good? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I've been waiting to talk to you. You've been bashing me for six months. Me, my family, everything I'm about, my religion, all that. Like, we're human beings, too. Yeah. Like, that shit don't fly. 
And I think Kyrie, and I support Kyrie. I support everything he's about. Yeah, so, so I think they I think they think I think the public image is he doesn't want to play, right? Right. When he's already said, I'll play the road game. <laughs> I'll be at the road. I'll be there four or five days early. Whatever yo, I'll be right. there. And they're saying, well, if you can't play full time, we don't want you part time. Right. And that's where I think everyone's getting mixed up. Like he 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 played the forty one. Yep. He he played the forty one on the All road. Because right, I, I knew he loved the game when uh, I was at the gym and Kyrie comes in two hours before, right? Comes in two hours before you're stretching stuff. So he decides to play the little kid, right? Little kid is shooting. He's like, oh, let's play one-on-one full court. Right. He's playing this little kid full court one-on-one for two hours. Shaking him. Right. Like it wasn't even like it wasn't even fair. He's like right. literally trying to make the kid fall every time down court, hitting him with yeah. and I'm just watching him like, yo, he's going full blast at this little kid two hours straight. And let me let me Like it's not like he on the phone. It's not like he doing this, like sitting. He's really like working on his moves against a little kid. I'm like, two hours. Yo, this kid just loves basketball. So this kid, so the guy that I told you that looked right like Ronald McDonald. Mm-hmm. He trained Kyrie too. Mm-hmm. He taught Kyrie a lot of his stuff, and that's that's how we got better. That's mm-hmm. how we used to get better. Like we never played like five on five. Mm-hmm. We played one on one full court yeah. because it gave you the whole court and it gave you the whole court to be creative. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why I had what I had was because of those. That's a, it's almost like a drill. Uh-huh. And the reason why I probably took two hours because Kyrie might have played him to 100 by one. <laughs> yes. that, that's the drill. Yes. You played, I don't care if you hit a three, a half court shot, it's it counts as one, one point. Uh, yeah. So when I get tired, I shoot a jumper. But when yeah. I get my little win back, I drive it to the basket <laughs> five, six, seven, eight straight times off moves. So that's probably what you got to that, that's how we learned the game. That's how I learned how to play basketball was in that one-on-one court, full-court drill. And Kyrie came up under the same guy. So that's funny <laughs> that you say that. That was our drill. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So let's let's take it back to high school. Now I read somewhere you you used to have a problem with light skinned hoopers. Just didn't respect him. <laughs> you ended up getting getting dragged into a beef uh, with Mike Bibby. Tell me a little bit about how how that happened and how did Bibby help change that 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 feeling you had? Nah, it goes hoopers. back to uh, it wasn't no beef with me really or light skinned players. It was just that when we went to uh, this tournament called Slam Dunk to the beach. I want to say it was in Myrtle Beach, uh, okay. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, way back in the day, '96. I want to say. And everybody was there. Kobe was there. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal was there. Uh, Lester Earl, you can remember that mm-hmm. name. So it was a bunch of dudes there. And 
Shah, Bibby was still ranked ahead of Shah. Mm -hmm. And we get to the lunchroom and they had all this McDonald's out. And like Shah like had all these young bulls like off Bibby. Like uh -huh. him, like, you know what I'm saying? So we all like banging in the line, getting, <laughs> getting quarter pounders. <laughs> Why you wanting Bibby to say something? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, jump yeah. on him, you know what I'm saying? And Shad Shad kept saying, "I hate, I hate these light skinned pretty things from the West Coast. Everybody think that they like, you know what I'm saying? So that's where that came from. And I, I never really had no issues with light skinned plates. But when you saw Bibby, I'm saying when you saw Bibby go out there and oh, was, so I hadn't seen him play to okay. your point, right? Okay. So great point. So yeah, I go and we go watch him play. Or oh, then we go watch him play. It's just they play before us, so we get there at halftime to watch. And the man scored like 35 in the second <laughs> half, bro. I was looking like shot. I don't know why you got me, because that was fucking play. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, that light-skinned boy right there yeah, can yeah. go. <laughs> so let's go back to 98. You national player of the year. You know, you're wearing your options. You decide to put your name into the draft. What were the factors that led to that decision? Well, me and my AAU coach, his name is Sandy Pione. When we sat down going into my senior year, I was probably top 20. Okay. And I was just like, Sandy, like, what do I have to do to be the number one player in the country? And he was like, you know, these are the different things. And one of the things he said that we had to do, I had to make 2,000 jump shots a day. Not take, I had to make, right? And we did that for three weeks, every day, seven days a week. Shoot 1,000 in the morning, make 1,000 in the morning, 1,000 at night. And that helped my jump shot. And at that point, I had to make a decision. I was going to go to ABCD, and it was only going to be me and Rashard Lewis there. But Nike had everybody, Jerron Rush, Coleon Young, uh, Corey Maggette, yeah. Quentin Richardson, mm -hmm. all the top dogs went to Nike. So this is the first riff we had because he wanted me to go to Adidas because it was in Jersey so he could kind of watch, you know, what he helped develop. Were you an Adidas guy at that point? I was point? Adidas guy, okay. right? But I went to Nike because that's where everybody was at. So mm -hmm. I went up there and won MVP of the camp, essentially, right? So when I come back, Sandy was a little upset and I was like, Sandy, I'm the one playing the country. I was like, I want to go pro now. Mm -hmm. So like, we need to like sharpen the skills so I can go pro. And he was like, no, I don't think you need to go pro. He was like, you ain't been playing long enough. He was like, you need to go to college and develop a little bit longer and then you'll, you'll have a better pro career. That's what he's telling me, right? And I'm just like, nah. And I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> so during that season, me and Rashard was going back and forth. It was like really game by game. Mm -hmm. Like if I have a game where I had like 19 and 15, like he go to number one. And then mm -hmm. I have 38 <laughs> and whatever, I go to number one. We go, going back and forth. And you know, pretty much at the end of the year, I ended up being number one. You know what I'm saying? I won every player of the year award except for the McDonald Award. They gave it to Ronald Curry, which was, he was a football player, which was whack. But well, the game was the game was in, it his, was home in his home. Yeah, okay, so okay, I got yeah. jerked on that one. I'm yeah. just like, how y'all didn't even start me in the game? That's a whole nother story. <laughs> But yeah, at, at that point, you know what I'm saying? So I went through all that, came home, and being that I was not 18 yet, my mom had to sign off for me to go pro. So now I gotta talk to her. So now I'm telling her, like, mom, I wanna go pro. And she like, nah, you, you so immature. <laughs> she like, you a kid, you about to be hanging out with grown men all mm -hmm. day. And you know, we just had a conversation and we back and forth. And I'm just like, Ma, what am I going to college for? Like, I wanna go pro anyway, I'm not gonna finish. I wanna go one year, it's not, not gonna matter. And she started crying, believe it or not. She was like looking out the window and she's like, I just don't wanna lose my baby. And I'm like, Ma, like we about to be set. What you talking about <laughs> losing me, you know what I'm saying? And uh, she signed off, she signed the paperwork and you know, the rest is history. I signed, found me an agent and you know, ended up getting drafted 25. You know, that's, that, that is crazy because when people see this, like, they understand 
my mom had to sign for me to enter the draft because I wasn't 18 yet. Right. When now you got players that's 20 years old, <laughs> you know what I mean, being held back. And, and, and I don't think they understand that. I always say it, the age is the most important thing, period, because you guys were the first wave to try to figure out, like, okay, can they make it? Can they survive? And the fact that everybody back then was 17 or 18, they was right. true. Kids. They were true kids. They're not 20, 21 years old coming into the draft. So it's like, yo, make sure your child is still that age because he's valued more. Right. See, there's already been, there's already been the test. Yep. They say, what is their real value? So, like, if you can go back now and enter the draft, if you enter the draft, you, Rashad, after 2001, you guys are top five picks. Right. That's a fact. That's your, your top five they picks. They tried to make an example out of me and Rashad yes. because <clears throat> I, I got promised. I, I went to Orlando for one of my workouts, and Penny was there. Mm-hmm. So, of course, got the butterflies. I always played better when I was nervous, right? <laughs> I'm like, Penny, bro. Penny? Yeah. I bust Penny ass. <laughs> like, it's a fact. I ain't lying. Like, I went so crazy, you know. I don't know if he was maybe not giving me everything, but I gave him the business. Yeah, yeah. It was so crazy, they called me back. They wanted me to play, work with them again. Mm-hmm. And pretty much, I, I was successful again. So they told me not to work out with no more teams. They was going to draft me, you know? So I'm like, all right, cool. They had, they, they had three first-round picks, them and the Houston Rockets. And they were all, like, between the, like, 10th pick and 18th pick. It was like they had all those picks, right? They told me, don't work out for nobody else. We drafting you, right? They told Rashard the same thing. He's from Houston. Mm-hmm. They told him the same thing. We drafting you. Two days before the draft, they call me and Rashard, and they tell us, don't come to the draft. So we like, what? So obviously I listened. He didn't listen. You remember he sat in the green yeah. room and cried. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. he still got $150 million later. Didn't yeah, matter. yeah, yeah. But he sat in that green room and cried. So I... At that time, I promise you, bro, they was trying to discourage the high school players from coming out. And me, I'm telling you, they made an example of me and Rashard. Because the Pacers picked me. I didn't even work out for the Pacers. You know what I'm saying? Seattle, he didn't work out for Seattle yeah. either. Like, these were teams that obviously weren't in the loop or something because they ended up drafting us. That was the real shift of the NBA because now they don't have any value on the old heads anymore. Right. And no, it completely changed. You're right. You go to school four years, you're done. done. You're done. Yeah. You're not even getting I don't care. You be playing a year, they don't care. Like, you got to come into the NBA at that age. Once you get 21, 22, and you come into the NBA, you better come in averaging 20-something. Right. You better come in averaging 20-something. If not, right. that kid who's average, that 18-year-old kid who's averaging 10, 15 points his rookie year, he's better valued than you. Way more. And that contract reflects it too. Yeah, they <laughs> want to be like, man, I had to, I had to sixty five for five. The young fella got hundred thirty for four. It got five points a game. His value's high. Crazy. But what's it like for you? Obviously, you know, going from high school now to the pros. Draft day is supposed to be this big moment. You know, you want to be decked out with the suit, and you get a call two days before the draft saying, "Don't come." Remember, I was still a little naive, right? I mean, I, I got. So good, so fast. So what? And I'm beyond. I didn't have hoop dreams as a youngster either. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I know like Gil was doing it since he was one, right? Uh-huh. So it was like this whole journey that like I made it, right? For me, it wasn't like that. Like I wanted to play in the NFL. I wanted to go to Notre Dame and play for the New York Giants. That was my goal in life. That's what I wanted, right? But it didn't happen that way. I ended up playing. I ended up hooping, yeah. right? So going through that process, at first I was upset. 
because I didn't get drafted where I thought I was, and mm-hmm. I didn't work out for no other team, so yeah. I was nervous. I'm thinking I made the wrong decision. I never forget Tommy Amico was at was at my draft party, and he he had even started talking to my mother about like, well, I think we could go, we could go back to the NCAA and probably get him his uh, eligibility. <laughs> bro, this is the conversations <laughs> having at my draft, bro. So I walk out the room, I walk out the restaurant rather, and I'm like in the hallway, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, damn. I'm like, how am I? I'm like, they just drafted T-Mac the year before, Jermaine O'Neal, KG, all they, all they were all number one players. Like, uh-huh. how am I not? You know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting there, my sister comes out, and she, like, comes to hug me. She's like, you okay, Albert? My name is already Albert. She's like, you okay, Albert? And I'm like, Tiffany, right, right now. Like, get away from me. Yeah. And then right as I said that, the whole room goes crazy, and I got drafted 25. So you weren't even in the – I wasn't even in the room. I was in the hall. I was, I was, like, in the lobby of the restaurant <laughs> and, like, really about to mush my sister. <laughs> like, get out of here, right? And right as I told her, like, Tiffany, I don't feel like dealing with this right now. Like, just go ahead. I hear the room go crazy mm-hmm. or whatever, and that's how I got drafted. So what did you think you find out you're going to the Pacers? I want to say the Lakers had like the 26 pick. Was there any team as it started to go on, you're like, I, I want to go here now. I know I'm not going to go. No, bro. I, I thought I, I, I'm thinking, remember, I'm not used to this process, the whole thing. I'm thinking you got to work out for a team to get yeah, drafted. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I'm more looking at like the teams that I worked out for, which is only like four. Yeah. I'm like looking to see when they draft again. <laughs> I'm thinking they all in the second round. You know what I'm saying? So my my first emotion of being drafted by the Pacers after being you know relieved that I got drafted, then it was like, damn, the Pacers. I'm a Nick fan, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm like, I gotta go play with Reggie Miller. I was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I was mad at first, bro. I'm like, damn, Reggie Miller, all people that I gotta go play with him. You know what I'm saying? But got through that process and, and whatever, we made it work. A Nick fan got to I'm like oh. Reggie Miller, like much he's broke our hearts so many times as Nick fans, and that's where I'm going. Like my mother, even my mom was like, Indiana, like, you can't get drafted by somebody else. <laughs> we was offered as a family in the beginning. <laughs> so now going to Indiana, what's that experience like for you? Just you know, as, as coming from high school to now the pros, now you were grown men in that world. What's that like for you being with that Pacer squad? It was cool. I mean, they 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 helped. They helped me, they helped mold me to the man that I am for real, like as a professional. Like they taught me everything, how to be on time, like how to take care of your body. Like I tell this story all the time. Like one time I got my, I was living with Antonio Davis because when I first came in, it was a lockout year. And I had got a FedEx package or whatever they packed, however we got packages in 98. And I opened it up and it was this book and had my name on it and it had all these states on it or whatever. And I opened it up and it's like, Obviously, man, writing in numbers and shit. So I'm looking at it. I don't know, shit. I took it, put it in my closet. A week later, I come home and Antonio sit in the kitchen and he got those same books there. But he's like, you know, hit his hand and he's like signing them. So I'm like, yo, what's that? He was like, um, he's like, some shit I'm taking care of. He's like, I got them same books downstairs. He's like, go get them. So I grab them. And I bring him down. He's like, bro, them your taxes. It's like your side of my Like, I didn't even know I had to pay taxes, bro. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, but for real, like, they, I always say, like, the reason why I played 16 years is because of the foundation they laid. Like, they laid, like, being on time, being early, like, being the last one to leave the gym, always getting your extra work in, mm-hmm. staying in tip-top shape at all times. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, all those things are the reason why I played 16 years. And I, that's one of the things that I feel like a lot of those younger players that get drafted early, and especially when it flipped to mm-hmm. where – the the really bad teams were getting the young guys mm-hmm. because you walk into locker rooms where there's no leadership. None. There's like zero leadership. 
you don't know how to do anything right and there's nobody there to actually coach you and help you. Because you think about every great player that makes it to the Hall of Fame, they always talk about a certain couple veterans that helped them, that remembered that something that was told to them or showed to them that is the reason why they became who they became as players. And, you know, I will always say, like, I was truly blessed to be able to, even though I wanted to be in Orlando and, you know, whatever, being an earlier pick, I think the 25th pick is right where God wanted me to be because I think that's the reason why I was able to last so long. So question for both of you, but really for you, Al, first. I mean, you made a huge leap from your rookie year to your second year. I know you were out in New York working out with Anthony Mason, Malik the guys like that. Just mm -hmm. what was that experience like for you now? It's like, you know, that's your first summer after your rookie year now, so I really got to lock in because now this thing, you know, if I don't, then it can very quickly end. Yeah, my thing always is just gaining respect from whoever I play against. And the way you gain respect from players is you play hard. You know, sometimes you're not going to always score it, whatever, but they're going to respect if you come out there and you compete mm -hmm. and you're not backing down. Yeah. And you think about Anthony Mason and the Charles Oakleys and all those guys, they were so intimidating. And then they see this 19-year-old, 18-year-old kid like coming in trying to run up their chest, like <laughs> not afraid, you know? And that's what, for me, was the most important thing. I just wanted to continue to gain the respect of my peers. Because even during that time, it's, you know, and he might experience a little bit, they wasn't feeling, they weren't welcoming the young mm -hmm. players with open arms yeah. either, right? They mm -hmm. were really looking at us like we were taking their jobs, which we were. We were cutting their careers short. Because before, if you had a player that played four years, Come out of high school, that's four more years you potentially got a chance to play. Now we coming out of high school, that just we cut that out. Yeah. That was like, and to this point, like now you get run into a team where it's like, okay, we just drafted this high school kid. Yeah, you probably can help us, but you're 34 years old. You got to go. Where normally that 34 year old might have got two more years, mm -hmm. but because the league got younger, so it was it was it was it was definitely like you know challenging from that perspective. And so I just felt like I just had to gain their respect and you know that summer for me was a big summer because I played in everything. I played in every tournament, every pro-am back in New York and this is when New York basketball was hot mm -hmm. and you know I was gaining their respect because every night I was coming with it you know and that gave me confidence going into my second year because to your point I made that leap and I made that leap because I went from playing kids all the time, dominating kids to mm -hmm. now dominating my peers or like at least really you know running up against these dudes. Yeah and it just trickled into the league. It's all about confidence, everything's yep, confidence. confidence. Like we both got kids that play sports and that's the one thing I pound is the confidence, confidence. I got a soccer player, you know, my daughter 10 and I've been contemplating putting her up, you know, cause she dominates yeah. her age group but she's only been playing soccer for two years. So I'm like, you know what, let me let her dominate it for two more years just so that she get that, you know, I want her walking in the gym like <laughs> on the field, like who won it, yep, you know? Yep. And, that's one thing that I felt like I learned or that I gained by being able to, you know, have that time in the summer to play against a lot of those dudes. Sure. And Gil, same thing with you. I know, you know, you were stuck at the facility back in those days, had to watch tape, had to get that work in, but just making that leap. You know, mine was, mine was uh, more like mental. When I say mental, it's like I, I knew I was, I can play, I knew I can score, right? I just didn't know like how to do it on that level. You know, it's always, you know, figure it out. And then once I figure it out, like, all right, I can do this, this, this. So when I got benched, you know, from there, you know, I'm still a goofy kid. And I remember, you know, back then, did they have like the little uh, psych therapist people still? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So the dude asked, I remember he asked me, he said uh, a question, would you rather hit the, the game-winning shot, uh, make the game-winning pass? So I'm trying to outsmart this motherfucker right here. Because <laughs> of course I want to shoot. <laughs> right? Of course I want to. Jordan, what are you talking about? So I was like, uh, I want to get the game-winning rebound. I was like, rebound? I was like, yes, because um, that's effort. All 10 players got to go at that. All 10 players, it's, it's, one, it's 1v1 at that point. Right. So, you know, to get that, that, that rebound that seals the game is what I want. So he was like, um, you know, I see you, you know, you're a little goofy. Maybe if you take the game serious or let them think you're serious, maybe things will change for you because up here, it's fine. So I'm like, what do you mean? So I should just not like these I don't, like, how do I, like, how do I not be happy I'm in the NBA? It was like, it's like, figure something out to trigger an emotion that when you're around these guys, like, you got to remember, as long as these guys are playing, you ain't playing. And if you ain't playing, you're going to be out of the league. That right there, just the thought of what he just said, oh, got it. Oh, no. So from there, it was just, it was just. Kill mode in practice. I ain't care about none of they plays. I don't want to know y'all plays because y'all, first of all, y'all at like 5 and 20. Right. So whatever plays y'all running, no, don't, work. Running. <laughs> don't work. They don't work. They not working, okay? So I got my own set of plays. <laughs> no, like, I, was so, I, was, I was so different, bro. I was like, I'm not, I don't care about none of the plays. Uh, hey, uh, five down, curl it. He can't score. No. Right. <laughs> he can't score. Jay Rich, just don't brush his guy. Just come off the loop. Like, I'm making up my old plays. Right? That ain't going to work. You throw it down to him. They're going to go kick it back to him. Yeah. Throw it back down. It's, come on, man. We're wasting our time. God damn it. So from there, it was just, you know, just showing them that I was serious enough for them to, you know, actually give me that chance. Sure. So uh, let, let's talk about your time with the, the We Believe Warriors mm-hmm. playing Nelly Ball. Yeah. You're a small forward, but you, you got to play the five in Nelly Ball. So what's it like for you having to, A, defend the five spot and then going against that from the offensive side? The only nights that was tough was playing against Shaq, obviously, and Yao Ming. Those are the two toughest covers playing small ball where, yeah. like, after the game, I couldn't move. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We had a back-to-back, like, I wasn't going to play the next night because mm-hmm. when we played against Yao, the thing was always fronting him. Right, the front of them and always had backside help, right? Stacking all Matt, they always had my back. And literally, he's so tall, I'm fronting and he's just kneeing me in my back all game. Like mm-hmm. kneeing me from my glutes up to the <laughs> middle of my back. And every time we play Houston, bro, literally, I couldn't go out that night. Like it was just like <laughs> I'm laid up trying to recover for the next night. So that part of it was tough, but the reason why it was great for me was because they had to guard me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, the only thing I didn't like about it was I don't feel like Nelly really used me properly playing against those dudes because I felt like I could have, like, really took advantage of them, like, in that mid-post area mm-hmm. just because I could shoot. And they got to go for the pump. They can't yeah. help themselves, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, like, but he just wanted me to shoot threes. He just wanted me to just keep the floor space. And playing for him was the first time in my career where I ended up that season, or the two seasons I played there, where I shot more threes than twos. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's unheard of. Especially yeah. like when we first came in the league, like everything was, first came, Rick Smith had to touch it. Like yeah. Reggie had no free reign to dribble up and just pull a three. Reggie Miller could not do that. Like he tried that coming out the game. You know, playing for Larry Bird and all like, they were not having it. So that flip for me 
it just changed. And once again, like I knew like the more I made more threes I made, the more well, I played. Play, yeah. So I but, didn't turn nothing down. <laughs> what's, so, what's so funny is I'm glad you said that. Like, because I don't think the casuals, I don't think shit, for the most part, media understand right. stuff like that. You said it. The ball had the touch. Had to. So if Reggie is coming down on the wing, he can't just chuck that shit up there. No, sir. Right, and then we're talking about a Hall of Famer, right? You're talking about a Hall of Famer who, the who didn't ever. have the green light on a certain team. You're like, wait, well, how come? he's the one who's supposed to have the green light. Right. Nah, nah. Especially but, shooting the yes, ball. We go in and come out. You know, Rick got to touch that thing every time. So, so when you look around at teams and you say, why is this person not aggressive? We don't know their game plan. Yes, we, don't, we don't know the game plan. We don't know what they're being told, what this player's being told for him not to be as free as you would like him to be. You know what I mean? Because I remember I had a conversation. I'm, I'm, I got the call from um, Jamal Crawford when he said Nelly told him that he need to retire. <laughs> he said, oh, you know, I don't. And I'm like, wait, bro, you, you only like 27, bro. What you talking about? 20, retire. That's Nelly, but that's why I know you said, like, that's why I don't. With Nelly to this day, because he just say wild shit like that. Like he's wild. He's so wild, bro. Like one day he said some shit. To, I can't remember exactly. He like compared me to his dog Lucky, and I was like, bro, I will poison Lucky, dog. Like you got me up, dog. Like like the conversations I've had with that man. People were like they like, how can you not like? I know he let me play and all that, but. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, we think about doing some We Believe thing, and I said I wouldn't mind doing it because I need to really sit down. I would love to bury the hatchet with him because yeah, yeah, yeah. he did end up bringing the best out of me a lot of times because I was so pissed off mm -hmm. at him. You know what I'm saying? He definitely brought a lot out of me that maybe I wouldn't have did sometimes. You know what I'm saying? But I can believe he told Jamal Crawford yeah, to retire. Exactly. He's just, he, he will say anything, bro. But, it's just like... And that's, 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 that's the problem because, you know, that old school, that old school mentality... Is was just it was a negative mentality. It wasn't actually a positive mentality. That's a great point too. It was a neg the old school coaching methods was a the Bobby Knight, it was a negative mentality. Yes, that works for certain mindsets. Right. Right? Certain mindsets, other mindsets, they need reinforcement, positive yeah. reassurance. They need to know that what they're doing is great. Right. Hey, I can get a little bit more. Yeah. Like some people, you're gonna have to do that. Some people, you just challenge like, hey, you ain't doing enough, bro. Right? Like you ain't doing nothing. You ain't, why are you even out there? And they be like, all right, all right, I'm gonna show you. Yeah, yeah. And then go out there. Some people can't do that. Right. You be like, yo, you ain't doing enough. Right, damn man, kill him. Right. You, you kill him right there, and you know you you have to understand your player. If you that like that's the most important thing to me as a coach, getting the best out of every player. Mm -hmm. Which means you have to understand every player. You can't treat every player the same, right. right? I don't. At this point, if I'm on, I don't care about your wins and losses. We can figure that out. But I need to make sure that you're getting the mileage out of every piece of player here, you know, because then I can evaluate them for what they are. Right. Like if you're pushing them and you're positive and or you're negative and he's doing this, I, I can evaluate it. But if you know, I don't. If you sit here talking to him like this and then he gives up on you. I don't know who's in the wrong. Right. You or him. Yeah. <laughs> you tell him, I'm telling him to be a professional, but shit, you ain't professional either because you, yeah, yeah. you got him in his feelings. Right. Like knowing he's... Knowing he's fragile. That, knowing he's you fragile. Know, you know, you know he's going to go that way. Because you know, <laughs> yeah, to your yeah. point, like you know, you know what players you could talk to like that. But to your point, like it's just sometimes it's just you don't know the game plan. 
-hmm. You don't know what is the intent of what they want for you. Because I always say, like, I've had so many teammates that I played with that if they got a real opportunity to play, like, they would have been a 10-year veteran Mm -hmm. in the league. But it's just the game plan. It's Mm -hmm. not meant for them to get an opportunity. It's just you got to sit behind this guy. (laughs) You you got to just be our practice guy. I'm killing every day. (laughs) I'm your this practice guy. I'm killing. Like, you running plays like... I'm killing, but I can't show it ever. I can't never get a shot, you know? And we're losing, to your point, sometimes you're losing too. And I'm like, (laughs) I still can't get a shot. Not me personally, but you know what I'm saying? Like, they can't get anything. It's just, it's it's politics and everything. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, like, people don't understand this. Like, if if I'm a guard and I came into the league and I got, like, 400,000, and then they just paid this dude $5 million and I'm busting his ass in practice, Zero minutes, bro. I'm, I'm getting zero minutes. None of that means nothing. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna sit five million dollars for no two four hundred thousand guy. Right. So now you just sitting there four years. You ain't got a minute. Yeah. Like just whoop, out the league overseas. When you killed this whole starter for four years in practice, but because they put the money behind them, that's yeah. it. They ain't. I've had coaches tell that player that yeah. four hundred thousand like be cool, mm-hmm. like enough. <laughs> Pass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pass. Enough. <laughs> enough. Yeah, right. Enough. That's what I said. Enough. enough. enough I've the, seen it with my. Oh, I've seen it. Enough with the one times. full flat. Enough. enough. <laughs> no swear to God. Enough with that full full flat. Enough. We get. I get it. All right, enough. but nothing is gonna change. Right. <laughs> nothing is gonna change. Sit your ass for that bitch. Make sure you got your suit. All right, man. All right. Damn, bro. So, <laughs> want to just hit you real quick. You know, cannabis industry. You know, you weren't a big smoker growing up, but you made the shift into cannabis. You know, there's not enough black representation in the space. I think we can all agree with that. With like three to four percent mm-hmm. of black owners in the space, you said that you want to make a hundred new black millionaires in the cannabis industry through through Viola Brand. So, how are you planning on doing that? Well, it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be a journey. It's gonna be a hard, you know, it's a hard uh, thing to do. But I want to start with education. Okay. Uh, I think that um, the most talented black people are not in cannabis yet because they still don't really realize and understand the opportunity because of the lack of education. Uh, this is generational wealth for at our fingertips, essentially. Yeah. If we can figure out how to infiltrate and, and be a part of this industry, this to me, this industry, because of the medicinal benefits and the sustainability um, component of the plant, I think it will be bigger than liquor, obviously, it could be even bigger than pharmaceutical, I think, because this cannabis plant is just so interesting and dynamic. And where I think about black people, we have, one, we helped found and build this country straight up on our backs. We fought for this country in you know, wars that was really on the fence. Black people came in, black battalion, like do your history on us as people. Soul food, the thing I'm, I'm, I love the most. That's mm-hmm. all, that was our scraps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was what they threw out in the garbage that we ended up making to now everybody in the world loves soul food. Like, mm-hmm. We're so creative, and we've always figured out how to make something out of nothing. So I think, what about that in the cannabis space? I look at situations now where um, from corporate cannabis to, to, say, black market cannabis, you know, I hear the term of LVMH of weed being thrown around. In the, on the corporate side, like this brand is gonna be that. And I look at that brand and look at it, you know, cool packaging, whatever. 
and you know, I'll do the wholesale. What's the wholesale value of this bread? And this uh, a per pound is being sold for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's being sold for 2100 23 just say 2500 right? The brands that we curate from our neighborhood where we make the packaging and their stickers with holograms and all this cool shit, we sell our flour for 6500 a pound. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the same flour that these LVMHs <laughs> of, but it's the way that we brand. It's mm-hmm. the way that we market. It's the way that we create the cool around it. And I think that that's the real LVMH of weed. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing in fashion. All these new fashion houses, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, they were shit. He'll tell you. We was not buying that shit. Mm-hmm. I hadn't bought Louis Vuitton in like almost five years, bro. Like a real fop, not a belt. Not a pair of shades. Mm-hmm. Virgil go over there. I ain't got enough money. I can't figure out how to get all the shit out of yeah, 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 I'm buying shit, putting it on, putting it back. I can't afford it all. It's too much shit. He got so much heat. An OG legend saves Gucci. Dapper then. An OG legend. An OG legend that corporate people would say he was a knockoff artist. He knocked off everything. He go to Gucci. He saved Gucci. Bro, I really think Gucci was really on their way out. You understand what I'm saying? So... You think about that, like, that's who we are. That's what we bring. We bring the cool in everything. Yeah. We make everything go viral. So I'm just really trying to figure out how do I do that in the cannabis space? Because this billion dollar industry illegally is mostly us, right? We're, we're buying a lot. We're spending money on it. But we don't have no ownership. You know what I'm saying? 85, but, like, get yeah. You know what it is, though? Think about... Think about every strand that is actually popping. What faces on it? Yep. Yeah. When moon, when everybody wanted the moon rocks, correct? Right. Yeah, correct. <laughs> right. Yep. Then you had the Wiz Khalifa, yep. right? Who was pushing? Who was pushing mostly all the cookie stuff? Yep. Right. You got all. You got burner used all rappers. Right. It's all right? us. It's, it's, just, it's all rappers. Then you got what, what, what you got now. Uh, you got jokes up, you got gumbo, all these things, and we'll see your the, point. The, the Scotty Pippin uh, Pippin thirty three, yeah, 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 you got yep. the Gary Payton, we got we we got the Iverson, like it's it is. It's just trying to figure out, hold on. I don't want you I don't want to be the model for it anymore. Right. I don't want to be the person by, behind. We need to be the people behind to really just Bro, we influence culture, man. And like to your point, like that's why the Allen Iverson uh, collaboration was so important, you know, not only just for me and Viola, but just for the culture. Mm-hmm. Like having Allen and the icon that he is and the awareness that he's going to bring in regards to all the things that we do from the purpose side of our brand, which is trying to create these hundred millionaires, trying to uplift, educate and empower people from our community is, is, is huge. It had to be me. It mm-hmm. had to be us. And that's what I that's what I'm trying to protect from is from us, you know, just giving it away again, you know, because rice, sugar, cotton, alcohol, the lottery, all us, bro. We mm-hmm. started all that. We we created the formulations, all those things, but we have no ownership. Someone came in and took it away from us, and now look at where we are, you know. And this is and to me, cannabis is a way, a form of reparations that, you know, I think that we can get. 
we're going to need help from government and all that with through these social equity programs and different things like that. But even with that, you know, a social equity applicant gets a license. Mm -hmm. Now they need to raise money, right? Nobody in our community got a million dollars, a million and a half of dollars to open up a store. We end up going to predatory investors, right? So once again, with the education side of it and then having Viola as a resource, we hope to be able to combat that. You know what I'm saying? Be able to allow our people to get friendlier money, right? To be able to have infrastructure so that they're not taken advantage of, mm -hmm. you know? And that's, that's, you know, one of the ways. And, you know, some of these brands that I'm talking about that I feel consider the LVMH of weed, I'm trying to upload them on our platform. Yeah, like, yeah. look, y'all come like, y'all selling weed for more than I'm selling my weed for. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, how, that's a no-brainer. These other companies can't, can't understand those kids. They'll never understand those dudes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like the only way it's going to happen, it, it, it has to be us. And we have to work collectively. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know there's a bunch of us athletes, entertainers that are black, that are in the space, right? But my problem is we're not working together <laughs> at all. Uh -huh. Like, we're out here like, bro, basketball <laughs> was basketball. Business is business. Business, you can work with somebody. Yeah, you can yeah, actually yeah. be a partner, and you can make money together, and it can last literally forever. Like, once again, this is generational wealth. You know what I'm saying? If we can figure out, because if we don't work together, it's just not going to work again. You know, they're just going to pick us, we all, we pick us show, apart. Pick yeah, us just... apart one, one by one, and then next thing you know, we'll just be having these same kind of deals that we see now. You know, we got just a partnership with this company that's producing our product, but no real true, you know, ownership. So... That's what that's 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 the way I think we create these hundred millionaires, and you know some of them may be millionaires already. I may make them the second time millionaires. Okay. You know, <laughs> working with some you know athletes and different things like that. But you know, I just think it's really important for us to take ownership in the space and, and figure it out right now because it's moving fast. It's moving so fast. Wow, we really appreciate you pulling up and coming through and really just schooling us on the hoops and on the cannabis side. I look forward to really partaking in a lot of your Viola brand products <laughs> in the near future. It's been No Chill with Gilbert Arenas. We appreciate y'all for tuning in. We'll be back with more very soon.